The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, and welcome to the Roto World Baseball Podcast on DJ Short. This is the latest episode in our team check-in series, and if you've been listening over the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking to a beat reporter or a beat writer from each team uh, just to sort of get a summary of the offseason and look ahead to the start of the 2017 season, and baseball games are almost here. Uh, It sort of feels like an abstract concept in my mind, but actual baseball games are going to be played this week. I I can't wait. Um, We've already done a bunch of these episodes, but today we're going to talk nationals with Chelsea James of the Washington Post. Before we get into that, just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. And you can get the show wherever you get your podcast. So if you use Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Audio Boom, you should be able to find the show. Okay, let's get into the interview with Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post. First off, Chelsea, thanks so much for coming on the show. I know things are starting to get busy with actual baseball games right around the corner, and this was a busy day in Nats camp, so thank you. No, thanks for having me. Well, let's start out with the big news of the day, and that's the Nationals agreeing to a deal with free agent catcher Matt Wieters pending a physical two years, $21 Um, and as you reported, $5 million in deferred money, which is something we're used to at the Nationals. Um, the Nationals already acquired Derek Norris back in December as they look to replace Wilson Ramos. But we've heard this chatter with Weeders seemingly all winter. What finally led to a deal here? You know, I think the price came down to a point where the Nationals could accept it. I think that ownership, who was always kind of the roadblock with them, finally said, you know what, this is something we want to do. And when ownership decides they want to do something, see Max Scherzer, see Rafael Soriano, Jason Worth, all these guys, they get it done, you know, when it's Scott Boris. So I, th- I think kind of a combination of familiarity with Scott Boris, the fact that the price was obviously palatable, they wouldn't have to commit a lot of years, which I think was even more worrisome. Uh, all of that just combined to make this happen now and give them a little bit of an upgrade behind the plate. And Derek Norris, does it seem likely he's going to be traded now? I know Dusty Baker was sort of hinting at that today. Yeah, I think that's the plan. You know, I I don't think they want to keep him as the backup. I think they want to find him a job elsewhere. Norris is a guy that came up through their system. They love this guy. They traded for him for a reason. I think at the time they intended to have him be the starting catcher. And now 
obviously he's in a kind of tough spot. So I think the ideal scenario is to go trade him for bullpen help. Whether or not that materializes, I don't know. But I think for now, for the next couple of days or whatever it is, um, that's what they're going to be trying to do. Certainly the big issue, vulnerability potentially with this team is the back end of that bullpen, as you mentioned, specifically the closer role. It seems like David Robertson has been the perfect match for what the Nationals need. Um, do you see anything like that coming together during spring training? Definitely. I think you know that's sort of something we've heard swirling all day maybe is that you know the White Sox need a catcher, and now the Nationals have catchers to give, so it makes a lot of sense. I think beyond that, you know, the only concern there would be that Robertson is owed $25 million over the next two years, and it's taken until, you know, late February for the ownership to approve $10 million for Matt Weider. So is that something that would hold it up? Maybe. But I agree. I actually have come around to that as a very good fit. I don't think the Nationals need a blow-you-away closer, to be honest. I think they need someone who has pitched the ninth, which allows Sean Kelly to pitch the eighth where he's had success allows Blake Trennan to pitch the seventh and just make things deeper. And they have a lot of guys that are great at that seventh, eighth, you know, even sixth inning role. They just don't have the closer. So if you let those guys fill those roles they're comfortable with, your bullpen's a lot better regardless of who's pitching the ninth. So I think that adding a guy like that is, is a perfect fit. Might not be the big name everyone wanted, but it would definitely help. Sure. And and the White Sox are probably familiar with some of uh, the Nationals players already from talking in that and the Adam Eaton trade. And I was originally going to lead with the Adam Eaton trade. So we'll go to that now. Mike Rizzo wanted to make a big splash this winter. We heard them connected to Andrew McCutcheon, Chris Sale, uh, but ultimately agreed on that Adam Eaton deal allows Trey Turner to move to his natural position at shortstop. Dusty Baker, how does he plan to line up these guys? I know Eaton has hit leadoff in the past, but Trey Turner seems like the perfect guy for that. Does he see Eaton as a top-of-the-lineup guy, or is he going to maybe hit in the lower part of the order? You know, I think it'll be interesting to see how Dusty Baker sees it as opposed to maybe how Mike Rizzo, the GM, sees it. Um, I, you know, I don't think they would ever, you know, fight or clash or anything worth, you know, considering drama, but I think they might have differing opinions. You know, I think, I think maybe Dusty's thinking of Trey as that leadoff hitter. He kind of hinted at it. I think maybe Rizzo would like to see a little bit more spacing of the lefties, maybe see Eden at the top and work your way down. But at this point, I don't think they really know. I think they need to get to know Weeders, get a sense of what they have in Ryan Zimmerman, and, and just sort of, sort of see what they've got, even maybe in Bryce Harper. And I, I expect them to kind of shuffle things a little bit early on to figure out how this lineup best runs. And with Turner, he was one of the best players in the game. Uh, finally got a chance at regular playing time. Uh, during the second half last year, hit 342, 13 homers, 33 steals in just 73 games. We've heard about the speed as he was making his way up through the minors, but the power was the real surprise. He he never really showed anything like that in the minors. What's the feeling on his ability to maintain that sort of production over a full season? I really think it's going to depend on how he gets pitched. I think everyone feels like the average is going to be there, which is incredible given how high it was, but certainly that he's a 300 guy in the big leagues, that he's, the speed is real, he's going to steal bases, and that he's smart enough to adjust you know, to maintain that average. I think maybe the power you could see dip if the number of fastballs he gets drops, which it should because he showed that he can hit the fastball. He showed that he can turn on a fastball and you know, really had to start adjusting to breaking stuff late in the season. So, you know, I think if he gets those fastballs early in the count that he's able to look for and jump on, the power will be there. But if guys start to kind of toss him junk and and force him to adjust, you might see those power numbers drop. 
but in terms of average and, and things like that, all he really has to do is put the ball out there somewhere on the ground and run, and he's there. So I think that it's easier to see him maintaining that average than maybe that power. Yeah, no complaints if he continues to be an elite table setter, that's for sure. Um, right. And now we'll get into somebody who, let's just say it, he was a disappointment last year, and that's Bryce Harper. After his historic MVP season, Harper regressed to the tune of an 814 OPS last season. Keep in mind, he was over 1,100 in 2015. I know there were some whispers about a shoulder injury last year, but the Nationals seemed to downplay it on multiple occasions. Um, how much of a factor do you think his health was in his production last year? I, it's really hard for me to say. And as all of that was kind of swirling, excuse me, um, it, it was tough because obviously there were rumors of an injury. He did have a neck injury for a week that you know set him out of the lineup. So that was real. But it, it just, you know, the, all of the national staff called in at one point and, you know, asked him, hey, is this something? What what do we need to know that we don't know about this injury? And he said nothing. He said it wasn't there. He said, it, you know, regular soreness. So it, it's sort of a strange situation. And, and you wonder if it's coming from his camp trying to downplay a bad year, if there was something and he thought keeping his mouth shut would be the best way. It's hard to say. But, I, you know, I think we'll know for sure whether there was an injury if he starts slow, you know, if he starts slow and there's no injury to think to speak of, then maybe it was just a bad year. But um, or even if he starts healthy and, and gets off to a hot start, you'll know, OK, he's fine. Whatever it was last year was something weird. But it's really hard to say. And, and he won't say and until he kind of elaborates and opens up about what that might have been instead of hinting at it. It's really hard to tell whether that was just something that, you know, came from his side of things to make that year look better or whether it was real. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody would be surprised if he had another ridiculous season this year. So uh, that's something to watch. Um, with Daniel Murphy, uh, we know he had that ridiculous power surge uh, during the 2015 postseason to finish his tenure with the Mets. But I don't think anybody saw this coming last year after he kind of had to settle for a bargain contract with the Nationals. Hit 347 with 25 homers and 104 RBIs. Uh, led the et al. in slugging percentage, OPS. It's fair to say there's going to be some regression because it's really hard to hit 347 over a full season again. Um, but do you think we're looking at a different hitter now than we've seen in the past? I do. You know, I, I think everyone sort of wanted to see what would happen last year after that playoff surge. You know, is it real? Is this him? I think it's him. It's it's crazy, but I think it is. I think he just got that much better. And I was watching the batting practice the other day, and after every pitch, he puts the knob of the bat to exactly where the ball passed over the plate. Not, you know, the general third, not, you know, which half, like the exact spot. And it's stunning. And he, I think he just has analyzed his way into becoming a tremendous hitter and has unreal pitch recognition and has evolved into something really special. And, you know, for the Nats, not only is the production good, and I think they can expect him to do something similar this year, but he's rubbing off on people around him and, and helping maybe Ryan Zimmerman simplify his swing. And so that acquisition continues to be one of the more remarkable ones they've had in years. And I think you can expect more of the same from Murphy, if not completely the same, very close to it. And what's the deal with this glute injury? I know he doesn't want to call it a, a butt injury, but that's that's what it is. Um, slowed him down a bit down the stretch last year, and there seems to be at least a little bit of concern about it being a lingering issue. Yeah, you know, I think just in the way that any hamstring, glute, butt trouble 
is always something you know can come back if you don't keep yourself in shape. I think that's sort of the concern. You know, it's not, oh gosh, he's right on the verge of tearing it. It's still really hurt. I think it's definitely healed. But, you know, we've seen guys in the past battle hamstring trouble and then never really get as strong and, and push it one day and then all of a sudden it's back. So I think that's the main concern. I don't think there's any, you know, limitations this spring. I think it's one of those things he just really has to be careful. And if he feels something, say something, maybe yeah. sooner than he would have in the past. Right. Well, probably the biggest health concern for the Nationals is Steven Strasburg. Um, got off to an amazing start last season, two six three ERA over his first 20 starts before everything went south in a hurry. Uh, eventually went down with that partial tear of the pronator tendon in his right arm in early September. It sounds like he's had a normal offseason, which is good. Um, but what's the plan for keeping him healthy through spring training and the regular season? From what I've heard, it's it's maybe just pulling back a little bit between starts. He's a guy that threw a lot uh, in his bullpens and, and all this. And I think that uh, they just kind of want to settle him down a little bit. It's it, nothing drastic. Um but just make sure he's not wasting bullets. I think the other thing is he added this cutter last year, and that pitch put torque on his arm that had never been on it before. And he explained this to us in the winter, and everyone was like, oh, wow, you know, how did we not think of that? The one thing that had changed was this pitch, and it makes total sense. So I think he's just going to be more careful and not throw that pitch quite as much. I think he started to lean on it last year because it got quick outs as opposed to the kind of outs his stuff normally gets, which are strikeouts. Um, But I just, you know, I see him kind of pulling back on that pitch, being more aware of what he needs to do to throw it safely, and just maybe not throwing quite as much in between starts and in the spring. And just the last thing here about Max Scherzer, I know he had a drop out of the WBC due due to the stress fracture in his right ring finger, just trying to get that calmed Mm -hmm. down. Is there any reason for concern with that going into the season? I think so. I, I think only because it hasn't healed. It's been, what, three and a half months, and it's just not better. And I talked to him this morning, and he, he's just frustrated. You know, he's like, it's a finger. You know, it's a knuckle on a finger, and it shouldn't be this big a deal. But I think ultimately, you know, he's going to wait it out. And as much as it's ripping him apart, you can tell to not be at full strength this spring. I think he's really aware that if he doesn't let a stress fracture settle down, it will continue to be stressed and continue to, you know, refracture. So, um, I, I think it's a concern only in that it's going to set him back a little bit this spring. Maybe he's not ready for opening day, but nobody really expects it to be a problem come mid-April or, or you know, have any lingering effects on any bigger, more important joints. And I think that as injuries go, it's kind of a minor one. And, you know, you'd take this over pretty much anything else. Certainly not an elbow or shoulder or something like that. Right. Um, right. Just to wrap things up here, let the people know how they can follow your work on social media and elsewhere. Well, I don't know that I recommend it, but uh, <laughs> Twitter is uh, at Chelsea underscore James, um, as is Instagram if you uh, are bored and want ridiculous Nat's photos. But that's about it. Great. Thanks again, Chelsea. Thanks for having me. Like I said at the outset, this was a busy day in Nationals camp, so really appreciate Chelsea taking the time to come on the show. Uh, that was great. Uh, just a couple of things to wrap uh, the show up today. Uh, first, the Rotoworld Baseball magazine is available in stores now, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, there's also the online version of the draft guide, which is being constantly updated pretty much daily. Uh, I actually just participated in a mock auction draft on Monday night and took about three and a half hours to complete, but 
was a lot of fun to get in there on that. So you can see some analysis about that uh, on the site in the in the next couple of days. Uh, but there's tons of stuff there: columns, projections, average draft position data, just endless content. Um, and we'll get you prepared for your fantasy draft. So go to rotoworld.com for more information on that. You can email the show, rotoworldbaseballpod at gmail.com. Again, that's rotoworldbaseballpod at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at DJ Short. I also have a Facebook page that I recently started. It's just facebook.com slash DJ Short Baseball. Uh, my co-host Drew Silva, who's doing a bunch of these episodes as well. He's at Drew Silva on Twitter. And until next time, take care. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.